Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Quick announcement for my listeners. Um, I want to let all of you know that I will be taking a brief summer break from producing episodes for this podcast. Um, I will be taking time off in July and for the first half of August, and we will be having uh, new episodes dropping mid-August, probably August 15th, something like that. Um, Just wanted to let you all know that I will be gone for about a month. Uh, I'm taking a vacation, going out to Panama to visit with family. It's going to be great. Uh, And so, of course, I will not be recording episodes or editing them while I am out of town. Um, But of course, there is a whole backlog of episodes for you to listen to. I will still be, um, I'll be scheduling posts to go out on my Instagram page, which is the anti-work therapist, as well as on the Substack, which I've been writing in for a little while now. So if you're still wanting some content uh, and you're not you know, obviously going to be getting some of these podcast episodes for a little bit. Um, Just keep an eye out. Uh, If you want to find more of my writing, you can find it at antiworktherapist.substack. That's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Antiworktherapist.substack.com. I'm writing a bunch of stuff there. I've also got a specialty uh, newsletter section for graduate students and new therapists. Um, and that one is $7 a month with a lot of helpful practical advice and some anti-work ramblings from me, specific to graduate students and new therapists. So check it out. Um, I hope your summer is going well or as well as it can be uh, given the current state of the world. And I will be back with you all in August. Um, However, I do wanna add a small caveat, caveat, caveat to that. Um, I will be dropping an episode uh, scheduled out on July 19th, and that's going to be a special episode. It is the one-year anniversary episode for this podcast. So I will be um, recording that before I go on vacation. It's going to go out on the 19th of July, which marks the uh, exact year date from the first episode going live um, and what a year it has been. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, let's get back into it and get on with the show. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I'm your host. This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And I have a very special guest on the show today. So I'd like to let them introduce themselves. Special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? Sure. Good morning. Thank you for having me, first and foremost. 
my name is Lisa Morkovich. Um, I'm located in New York City. I'm a social worker, art therapist, coach um, that's working here in New York City. Um, I'm also the owner of a group private practice called Brooklyn Center for Mindfulness and Psychotherapy. And yeah, just happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for joining. All right, so let's just dive right in. Uh, Lisa, would you mind telling us your burnout story? Of course. I mean, there was, you know, burnout obviously prior to the pandemic, which is, you know, that I've myself have worked in either the non-for-profit sector where, you know, that involved very, very many hours of work. And, um, you know, so there was definitely those layers of burnout, but I specifically wanted to address just the pandemic and, you know, the burnout that is my own burnout, my own story, but also the story of a lot of my colleagues um, who have, you know, worked during this time, um, trying to support, you know, individuals who are in crisis and at the same time, you know, living their own lives, um, experiencing their own anxieties around the pandemic and basically trying to navigate and survive through that, you know, plus two years down the line and we're kind of still in it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely, you know, sort of some hopelessness that's surrounding that reality as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you've been working with folks over the past couple of years, what are yeah. some of the biggest things that you are noticing coming from clinicians who've been working through this pandemic? Yeah. And it's almost like, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the clinicians, because that's almost like I want to kind of focus more on the clinicians and not necessarily like the general public, even though there's, you know, definitely that point that the general public, there's a lot of people whose mental illness has definitely been triggered, but clinicians, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like that trickle down effect of trauma, so to speak. So it's like, you know, there was at the forefront, there were people who were directly impacted by the pandemic. There's essential workers, there's medical professionals, there's, you know, everybody who's worked for the medical system or hospital system. Um, and just people who've, you know, again, have personally experienced like a loss or themselves having to deal with kind of medical issues. And then, you know, they seek out help, support from a licensed therapist as they should, right? When they're experiencing difficulties, but then because of the volume of people that are kind of collectively going through those experiences, um, there are, you know, quite literally not enough of us that can support um, individuals who are qualified to support, who are licensed, who have the availability. So, myself and, you know, mostly all clinicians that I know, unfortunately, at this point are, you know, book to capacity and then some. It's like where, where you know, where it's like, you know, do we need to sleep or can we support one more person who's in crisis? It's kind of like that type of dialogue. And I feel like all of us are, you know, trying the best to also support one another and feeling that collective hopelessness and the collective trauma that's, you know, has been sort of the impact of this pandemic. So that's really been a lot of what's been going on and what I've seen. Um, you know, we're all basically tired and that's that's yes. kind of the, the reality of it. Yes, very, very tired. Um, and I can definitely relate to that, like being full to capacity and mm -hmm. still, still feeling like Oh, should I take more on? There are yeah. more folks you meet. And it's just, it's a very difficult place to be in because you have that desire to give and help. 
we have limits of course and it's like you know we all went into the field because we wanted to help right it's it's Mm -hmm. like what better opportunity to help than when you know that when so many are experiencing such difficulty however it's like you said we have our own limits and unless you're clear about what your time availability and your energy looks like it's very easy to get burnt out and that's another thing that I'm kind of noticing that clinicians you know very best intentions really want to help and they want to take on more and more individuals and support more and more individuals but then you know where are the hours in the day yeah to be able to do that mm-hmm. so yeah and it's I think for me when I first started out there was yeah. not not as much of a understanding of all of the extra stuff that came with the clinical hour. So you have the 50 to 55 minutes with somebody. And then there's a lot of that extra stuff that occurs as well. All the paperwork, all the calls, the coordination, everything. Um, And I've, I've almost found that that work is as mentally draining as any other aspect of the job. Like I almost get more invigorated working with clients than, than doing all of that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great that you could recognize that. I think of a lot of my colleagues who are doing agency work Mm -hmm. where like the paperwork demand and like the other stuff, it's not just clinical, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, that, that can be really, really tiring and draining because it's, it's easy to kind of lose sight of why you went into the field, right? Because you're dealing with paperwork, not with clients themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely... Absolutely. And you mentioned something about being able to know your own time and energy limits. So for you, what has helped you really understand that clearly for yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And that's something that's, you know, even to this day, I have to admit, it's like trial and error. Like, there's certainly some weeks where I'm just like, you know, you know, why not, you know, just schedule one more individual. Um, But I think that what helps is just when you can realistically kind of break down like what a work day looks like, right? Like so, and then, you know, obviously considering like all the other demands that you have in life, um, you know, I know that I have two children who depend on me. So it's kind of like, you know, I have to have like the energy and the time availability to be able to, you know, goes into parenting and things like that. Um, you know, and a lot of my colleagues are kind of in similar boats too, or just, or, and need time for themselves to be able to rejuvenate and then, you know, be better available for their own clients. So I think that what helps is really just being realistic with what a workday looks like. And then, you know, being clear with um, clients, with those around you that, you know, unfortunately, you know, you, you don't have extra time to be able to schedule or meet, but you can offer a referral, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, this is what kind of motivated me to start a group practice, because while I may not have availability, I can recommend somebody in the practice, mm-hmm. you know, who I personally kind of handpick trained, um, you know, trust that they're wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I've talked to several folks who um, they, they come against this point where they know what the schedule needs to look like and they understand for themselves that they actually energetically can't schedule, but then they see on their, on their calendar, well, I've blocked out this time for admin, or this is my lunch hour. Mm -hmm. It's open. I'm going to fill it. Like, so how would you recommend to somebody to really hold those boundaries on those open? I know. 
I know. And and here's the thing, like there's what I recommend other people do. And there's like the traps <laughs> that I fall into myself realistically, because even as you said, lunchtime, like even just today, I scheduled someone for my lunch break because I had to. Right. Mm-hmm. So I get completely like that point. But I think that treating it as if it's like this time is blocked off and, you know, it, it's kind of like you would you would the motivation you have like when you block off that time for a client and you know for certain that you can't schedule anyone else in that time I mean Mm -hmm. things like being able to eat lunch if you don't eat lunch you're not going to be the best therapist you can be Mm -hmm. you know we all have to eat and sleep at the end of the day right Mm -hmm. and then some like other forms of self-care so you know treating it as this schedule this time is blocked off I can't schedule anyone then you know, that's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you, when you've done that in the past and you've seen that lunch mm-hmm. hour and chosen not to schedule, have you experienced any, any guilt around that or any uncomfortable feelings? Oh, sure. Um, definitely guilt. I mean, with some individuals who, you know, are more stable, it's kind of easier to say no than if you know, somebody, you know, really benefits to the appointment really needs that time. Um, you know, I, and those are, that's kind of like the gray area where I know I find myself having a really hard time saying no. But then I also think about that, you know, it's like if somebody were to be like, I, you know, I want to schedule with you at one in the morning and you're like, no, I, I sleep at one <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But lunchtime is just as important. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what happens to our bodies when we don't eat or our energy levels. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. And that can be, um, I find a lot of folks like they, they see that as just like a necessary, a necessarily thing that they need to do is see people rather than, well, I can, I can eat quickly between mm-hmm. sessions or I can right. quickly get right. some water between right. sessions. Right. 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 So for you, what's, what is the true benefit of taking a full lunch hour rather than just having something to eat between sessions? Why, why yeah. is that so important? I know for me, it's like, it's the lunch break. Um, It's also separating from my physical office space, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I have to go outside. It doesn't matter the weather. Like I I need the fresh air. I need the, you know, and I really do feel very energized. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like sort of feeling those benefits from being able to take a break and seeing that I'm actually, you know, a lot better, um, at my game so to speak Mm -hmm. like after I come back like that definitely helps it's like getting a good night's sleep right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so I'm curious um over the time of this podcast and the work that I've done the audience has been a lot of licensed folks but I've actually seen a a pretty big influx of students and really early career folks too and I've heard from a lot of them that they they don't feel like they got a lot of education on burnout they don't really know what to look for what the signs are or really how to prevent that so i'm wondering if you do much work with earlier career folks and how you try to help them through that process yeah, I definitely do. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because we're we're kind of like the burnout culture, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Like it's like we work, 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 and we don't know what like work-life balance looks like and what self-care looks like and how to really prioritize yourself. So that definitely is something. I mean, I have interns in the practice, and one of the first things I always talk about is that 
it's okay to take a mental health day, you know, as long as like you let your clients know in advance, you try to reschedule, you let your supervisor know, like if you need to take time off, like you should take time off, just like you would take time off. Like if you were physically ill. Right. Um, And we talk a lot about kind of preventative care, about having these habits that even though it feels trivial that you do every day. So it's like for me, it's like kind of taking a lunch break, that that's something that no matter what, no matter how good I feel, like I do that. Right. Like that. I always take a lunch break that I always take like a going for a walk break or something like that, that that's something that I need. And that's something that I talk about a lot with my interns, like what specifically works for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And do that every day, no matter how good you feel. Right. Right. Yeah. What are some of the things that people have found most effective? Those like you call them trivial things, but what's what's been most effective, do you think, for people? (sighs) I think definitely one is being realistic with your time availability. A lot of like, it's a lot of people that are very new in the field. They also don't realize like what, how much energy goes into this work. So it's very easy to be like, oh, 10 clients a day are no big deal. You know, like I've done more work in my life, but no, it is a big deal. It's like, I mean, if you get 10 people who are like in crisis too, like there's going to be nothing left of you at the end of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like it's being very realistic with what your time availability looks like and how many clients you can take on. Um, But also like in terms of like I I what I said trivial, like I don't really mean trivial because it's they are big deals. Right. Mm -hmm. But just like, again, exploring what makes you feel good, what helps you to recharge. um, And that's different for different people. Right. And then again, making these habits where you do it every day and you take time off too. So it's like weekends or no phones, no emails, um, just time to relax and have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up an interesting point, which it's, it's a bit more of like a, um, <clears throat> it's a personal thing, but I think it's also not talked about a lot in yeah. school or in these early uh, positions that we have is that the energy that you need to give to the job. So I don't even know if I've heard really a good way to quantify or qualify what that energy output looks like. So I'm curious for you, like, what does it actually feel like to give that energy out all day? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Some, I I actually think that who said this to me? I think it might've been a previous student. They were like, they compared it to, um, they took like an exam that was like really mentally draining. And it's kind of like, you know, you're the amount you have to concentrate and you studied for that exam and stuff like that. And like your, um, you know, your attention is really, really high and stress levels high during those moments when you're taking the exam. And then afterwards you're just exhausted right? Because you're kind of, it's sort of like some sessions really do feel that way because we have to so hyper-focus. We have to prepare for these, um, for these clients, you know, we have to like tune up on our clinical skills. Um, You know, we're so hyper-focused on everything that's going on with our clients, like from like what, you know, from body posture, from behaviors, from like what they're saying, from remembering everything that they've said, from remembering every course load and every class that we've ever taken, right? It's like, it's not just that we're casually having a, a conversation, like 
we really have to work hard. Mm -hmm. So it is like taking a very intense exam each and every time that you're like with these clients. So like, yeah, afterwards we feel tired. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know I've had that feeling where it's like, then a friend will call me and like, just chit chat about problems they have with a boss. And I'm just like, I don't have the mental capacity to problem solve like any, any more issues that are going on in people's lives, you know? And that's a problem, like when we don't have that ability to do that for people in our lives or ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another big red flag. Yeah, and that really resonates. I know that sure. at, at points where I was either working for a nonprofit or I was at a group practice myself for a oh, while, yeah. um, there were days when I would come home and I would have to tell my husband and stepson, like, I have nothing. I can't yeah. say anything nothing is happening in my brain right now. Um, and I feel, I feel fortunate because I have a partner who he doesn't know what it's like, but he understands that that's what it's like. But I've talked to a lot of people where their partners don't get it. Their partners say, you're just sitting all day. Right. 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 And I so empathize with that feeling like I've been there and that's, you know, it's one thing to do that once in a while and have those days. It's another thing when it's the majority of your life. Mm-hmm. because you're really not living then right mm-hmm. yeah you're giving all of what you can mm-hmm. to the yeah. six yeah. to ten client hopefully I mean I hope right. it's not a ton of day but that's you know right. you gotta do what right. you gotta do um but you're yeah. giving so much energy and then right. yeah it's all it's gone at the end of the day yeah yeah and even just like our relationships with our clients like it's it has to be a two-way street like we can't mm-hmm. work harder than our clients do mm-hmm. right and when you find yourself in that dynamic uh, which like happens sometimes when people are in crisis and you really want to help and pull them out of it right um however it's like you you know we're also can't be the ones to like change for somebody if they're not doing it for themselves. And that can either be a recipe for burnout, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely, <clears throat> it's a balancing act. Um, and I mean, I know for myself, I've been in the field working full-time since right. 2019. So a few years, right. not, a, not a terribly long time. And I'm right. still learning what that balance looks like. Of course, like. of course. I feel like you kind of learn, you know, for the rest of your life, but this is a very important lesson, but you're right. They just don't cover this in school at all. Mm-hmm. And they don't cover like what it takes to be able to take care of yourselves, you know, as mental health professionals um, so that we can best take care of those around us. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like the whole putting your oxygen mask on first, but it's true right yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and i've i've talked about that with some folks like needing to put your mask on first mm-hmm. so that you can help others sure and also this idea of like you deserve to put the ma- the mask on just because you need oxygen it's you know right. even if even if the end result is not you helping somebody else like you also need that um and i think sometimes therapists can get into this mindset of like well, the, the main purpose of me putting my oxygen mask on is so that I can help others. Not, right. not just because I need it. <laughs> right. 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 Um, not just because I'm a human being and I need to breathe. Right. Exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which shows like the level of selflessness um, that a lot of therapists have. However, 
you know, it's that also has a lot of toxicity around that because, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens when you neglect yourself for too long, right? This is where we get sick. This is where we just can't do these jobs anymore, Mm -hmm. right? This is where people are, a lot of my colleagues are like, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like I'll do any other job, but I don't want to be a therapist anymore. And it doesn't have to get to that point where the field is losing these amazing caring individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious for you, like, have you ever reached a point where you maybe didn't think that you needed to leave, but where you just questioned your longevity in this field? Yeah. I mean, that definitely have, but I, but I also recognize like I've been in the field long enough that I know that that's just, it's time for a vacation because taking like even one day off, like will make me feel so differently. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really where, so I've never gotten to a point where I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, thank goodness, at least not yet. Hopefully I won't get to that point. But um, I've definitely thought like, you know, I'd, I want a break or, you know, mm-hmm. um, but then it's like, then you have a really great session with somebody where you really connect and you feel like you've helped. And it's like, just sort of restores that motivation in you to keep going. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So then as a a group practice owner, um, I imagine that you have multiple roles that you you are a therapist, but also the owner and an employer, um, a supervisor, it sounds like too. So for you personally, how do you manage each of those distinct roles and stave off burnout? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the same way that I was just kind of describing that I have to be very clear with a lot of my employees, a lot of the tasks that I have to do, that, you know, what my time availability looks like when I am available, um, and also be okay with things being undone at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, things not every, you know, it's impossible to kind of finish everything that you need to get done like there's always work to do basically there's always things to do um and I've also have had to learn to ask for help which was a very big one for me you know that's the other thing that us therapists don't always like to admit like when we can't just all do things yourself but you know being kind of in an admin role like that wasn't that was that's something I had to learn that wasn't something that just came naturally to me so therefore like it was easy for me to be like okay well I need you to do this because I don't know how to do this or I don't have the time availability to do this yeah so Mm -hmm. so asking for help being really clear about your time your energy all those kinds of things yeah um yeah. And I, I think like no matter what stage of your career you're at, whether you're solo in a right. working in a group or the group owner, like those mm-hmm. are, those are really important things to consider for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Is there any, any piece of advice that is maybe not as common or any, any insights that you have that maybe aren't talked about as much when it comes to managing all of the expectations you have? I think just learning to say no and being okay with saying no is something that's kind of stigmatized. I mean, a lot of my, you know, I hear a lot of my colleagues or even just my employees saying like that they just don't fit, feel like a certain client is a good fit. You know, they've tried, they've tried, they've taken classes. I mean, sometimes it's just being clear, even with clients that like, you know, that 
perhaps somebody else might be better suited to your needs Mm -hmm. and being able to end that relationship, even though that's really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, and saying no to anything really. So it's like, sometimes I have to say no to my employees, you know, that I'm not available today. Um, So like, if you need certain guidance, then we can meet next week or, you know, just like, try to, um, you know, look up this information yourself and kind of deal with this yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's like another big one, because as a supervisor, you know, of course, I want to be available to any questions that my clinicians may have, but I can't always, I have a caseload myself, so. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think are some of the biggest things that stand in the way of people saying no? Usually expectations people put on themselves because, you know, and this is a conversation I have with people that sure, ballistically, like if we could eliminate sleep and eating and just all basic human needs and somehow function on air and have 24 seven, you know, hours in the day and week, but realistically that we just can't. So, you know, with that in mind, like you do the best you can with the time that you have. Um, and you know, there's a difference between expectation and what you would like to happen and words matter. You know, I'm a CBT therapist. So like words and inner dialogue really does matters. Right. So it's like what, what you feel like you need to do versus what you would like to do sometimes differs. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between saying like, I have to be this individual versus, you know what, I would like to be, but realistically it's not possible Mm -hmm. right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So releasing some of the, maybe some Mm -hmm. of the higher expectations that either you just have for yourself or maybe like I found in talking with some people, there's, there's a culture of expectation as well. And I I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to not consider all of these systemic and cultural things that Mm -hmm. are placed on therapists. Um, Yeah. I mean, just this idea of like, as a therapist, you should be giving and giving and giving and giving, and you should want to help everybody and everywhere. Like, and I think it's really hard, especially for younger, younger career therapists, but in general therapists to really contend with what society is telling them they should be versus what they know they can be versus Mm -hmm. what they want to be. It's like this whole triad of like having to really fortify your own psychological well-being against yes things that yep. are unrealistic. Yep. Yep. And that's a very big one. There's like expectation and there's like what reality looks like. And I mean, I feel like even just the newer clinicians, when they get into agency work and they realize that there are, there's all this kind of systemic layers that go on in agency work that might not be within that the narrative that you're just there to help people because it's not that simple right Mm -hmm. there's all these systems in place that kind of sometimes get in the way and sometimes hurt the individuals that you're trying to protect Mm -hmm. and that's like the other thing that's very difficult for a lot of individuals um you know to be able to kind of sit with Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so when you work with folks how many, how many people who come to your practice are coming from agency work? Usually, usually, not. oh, you mean like employees or do you mean clients? Employees. Employees. Um, yeah. 
like all of them have <laughs> eventually like at one point or another I mean you know like it, it at some capacity or another like whether or not it's like a, a school or whether or not it's like an actual agency but yeah yeah and it's and I remember myself like having worked in non-for-profit sector for years you know when I started my career to then doing private practice work and kind of having that mindset that we have to document everything and like you know you have to have like these page-long documentations and then being realizing that you know we really don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what are we doing this for ourselves right no one's gonna look at our notes yeah it's like you know you do want to take notes but yeah right yeah I mean what I've learned over time is like you like take a training so you can learn how to Mm -hmm. write the shortest possible note that is legally Uh, appropriate appropriate right yeah so that like and the benefit of that too is if you don't have a page long like story about a session that also protects your clients if if ever these notes are subpoenaed or somebody else looks at them like true that's a lot of detail true um true and it's kind of private too Mm -hmm. so i get that point um plus like checklists can be helpful you know, it's like whatever you can do to kind of simplify your life um, is beneficial. That's that's definitely one of the other kind of tools that I've learned along the years that, you know, there are ways of, I don't want to call them cut corners because you're not cutting corners, but just simplifying, right? Um, sometimes creating certain systems or organization strategies for yourself can then help with time management in the future. And that's helpful. So. Yeah. So what are some of the, some of the systems that you have in place now that you would definitely recommend to people to help simplify? Yeah, I mean, in terms of for other clinicians, you know, definitely having um, documentation that's just where you're not spending a fortune uh, or not fortune, sorry, where you're not spending like a, a lot of time doing um, notes, you know, that a, a paragraph as long as it's concise as long as like you really you know thought it out um is enough right you don't have to be writing pages um so that's definitely one way um and again sometimes it also takes hiring others that can help you you know like for some practices they hire like a billing specialist that can kind of take care of the billing for you and the invoices and therefore you don't have to think about that you know, sometimes it's just worth it if you get to spend more time with like family and friends and for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. So documentation systems, billing systems, mm-hmm. billing systems, so systems basically in a yeah. nutshell, yeah. <laughs> because that's always like a really big one. Absolutely. For, for your private practice. Yeah. And I found for myself too, getting into private practice. I mean, I'm definitely the, I can do it all by myself type. And so (laughs) I'm coming up against that now too. I'm like, well, I should probably consider maybe a virtual assistant or somebody else who can be of service. hundred percent. Yeah. And the way that I kind of framed it to myself um, Mm -hmm. and the way I frame it to other people is sure you can do this yourself it's not a matter of whether or not you can do this yourself um it's kind of like think about it as getting takeout food or going to a restaurant of course you can cook it yourself if you want to Mm -hmm. but if it's like pleasurable and it's um you know takes um you know basically frees you up for more time to just get it a service basically paid for if you can then Mm -hmm. it can be helpful to do that plus you're giving somebody work who might need it So that's, to me, that's kind of motivating enough because I definitely know, you know, some people who could 
really do need the money, right? Mm-hmm. So why not give them a job? And then you're being helped at, at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a word, um, something that's pleasurable. So that's something that I've been trying to focus sure. on more yeah. is for clinicians trying to find more pleasure in their lives in general. So for right. you, how do you find pleasure and joy and leisure in your life as a therapist? Yeah. I mean, those are really important factors because it's not just all about work, right? I mean, we need to be able to enjoy our lives. So for me personally, um, you know, going away, like that's Mm -hmm. always like something that works for me, change of scenery, even if I'm working, um, that helps, you know, being able to take weekends off, being able to kind of see friends. Um, I know the pandemic has made things kind of more challenging, um, but if there are ways of sort of exploring safely, you know, being able to meet with friends and things like that, that can be really helpful. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such an individual thing because what's pleasurable for one person, just like what's self-care for one person, doesn't work for someone else. So I hate being like, you know, let's make a list of like yoga and manicures and things like that, because that's not what works for, you know, for everyone. Right. Um, Again, I love going for walks. I mean, I love kind of embracing the food options in New York city. Um, You know, I love petting my cat, you know, all those things kind of bring me pleasure and work for me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like, well, what works for you? What makes you happy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely finding that individualized yeah. plan can be super helpful. And I've, I've found it helpful yeah. too, to talk about, um, not just the, like the preventive self-care plans, but like calling it more like a radical self-care. So mm-hmm. it's the stuff that you need to yeah. do that maybe doesn't feel pleasurable, but it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I think you touched on that briefly before those like day-to-day routine things that yes. are there yeah. for a purpose. Um, so from, from your perspective, what might be some like not inherently pleasurable things to do for self-care that can really make a big impact for people? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, you know, talk about with therapists specifically is like, so it's like all these things that you talk about with clients in terms of like taking care of your physical bodies, for example, like it's like, you know, making sure that you have doctor's appointments for yourself lined up, like make sure that you go to the dentist, make sure that you're hydrating, eating enough, um, you know, taking care of just like your basic basic human needs are something that I feel like, you know, we explore with our clients all the time, but then it's very easy to just not do yourself. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's definitely something that might not feel good in the moment, but something that we just have to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, really, I think that it's, it's really just about making habits for yourself and making sure that you do them daily. So it's not something you think about anymore, but something you just do. Mm -hmm. right yeah and not feel kind of guilt around that Mm -hmm. yeah or do even if you feel guilty (laughs) right just do it anyways the guilt anyways yeah but yeah yeah absolutely and I think that's like when people talk to me about feeling guilty and -hmm. wondering how to handle that a lot of the time I don't know because I feel that too it's more like right right you just unless you know you're actually doing something wrong, which you're probably not like, just, just do the thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned 
at the beginning of the episode that you, you have a mindfulness center. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about how mindfulness plays into all of this for you? Oh, sure. I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is definitely one of my favorite subjects. Mindfulness really is kind of the cornerstone of like a lot of the work that, um, you know, we do. Um, basically, mindfulness is really just being very aware of what's going on internally, externally, um, being really present right? Basically, when you're doing something, even like, let, I mean, we've been talking about self-care, so let's use self-care as like a perfect example. I mean, you know, if you're, you know, if you're outside and you're going for a walk, but like, you're really distracted and you're worried about like what you're going to have to do when you get home, like you're not, you're kind of ruining it for yourself because you're not really in your surroundings. The same as like being out with a friend or out on a date, right? And like you're, rather than being engaged and focused and enjoying the conversation, you're thinking about what you have to get done the following week. Like you're doing a disservice to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really just about being able to shut off your brain and be as present as you can, Mm -hmm. right? And that's easier to do when things are pleasurable, harder to do when you're feeling anxious, but there are ways of still bringing awareness to the uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. And when you can learn to do that, it becomes like a coping skill for those feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's so much more to it, obviously. So I would, I always recommend that people start out with something that's like enjoyable or neutral Mm -hmm. for them. Like when you're practicing mindfulness, yeah, absolutely. but again, that's another thing that has to be just a habit in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and for the folks who are listening, um, what would be some of your maybe like easy steps into increasing their mindfulness, especially because a lot yeah. of folks who listen are burnt out already? So, what would you recommend for people who are burnt out? Hundred percent. Yeah. So for people who are burnt out or for people who are starting out, like we talk a lot about just picking something that's neutral, not because for some people, like even talking about pleasurable, they're just not there yet. There's too much going on in their life to really even explore that word, right? So find something that's neutral that you do. So say brushing your teeth. Um, So when you're brushing your teeth every morning, you do so mindfully. So which is like, when's the last time any one of us did that? We just go through the motions, right? Mm -hmm. So you're describing what you're doing. You might even be saying it out loud. So you're saying like, I'm taking this toothbrush right now. I'm smelling the mint of my toothpaste. I'm squeezing it out. I can feel it in my hands and just do so mindfully and get into a habit that every time you brush your teeth, you do it mindfully. Mm -hmm. Um, So from there, you build on to things that are, different you know things that are bigger um eventually things that might not feel the best right um and even with that you kind of create this hierarchy of something that might feel a little bit uncomfortable but it's not yet so painful Mm -hmm. right um and then you just sit with that Mm -hmm. you know like for example taking um a really thick blanket and putting it over your your body and really feeling like I'm kind of getting sweaty. It's kind of not feeling the best, but you know, I, I can just sit with this. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can kind of learn to be able to sit with or observe, right. The uncomfortable thoughts that you have, the uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
And one thing that I've encountered with folks that I work with when it mm-hmm. comes to mindfulness um, is there's some fear that if I just let myself feel or notice it, it's just going to take over. So I'm curious, what's your experience with that? Yep. I mean, I've, I've had people be like, well, it's like a dam, right? Like, it's like the water's just going to flood. I'm never going to pick myself up, but really, you know, it's kind of like, it's those thoughts are already a part of you, whether or not you're being mindful or whether or not you're trying to push them down. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So it's kind of like, you might as well, learn to just be able to accept that it's there it's kind of like I mean I live in New York and New York is very noisy so it's kind of like when you're sitting in your office and there's drilling going on somewhere in the background Um, but you can you know you can learn to just be able to hear that sound and have it be in the background and not let it bother you and to get to that place you have to be aware that there's drilling going on and be mindful Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. right you can't change what you're not aware of right so yeah yeah which is hopefully part of how like these types of conversations on the show can be helpful is first of all, bringing that awareness to folks that they might be burnt out. Like, mm-hmm. cause I know for myself and some people I've talked to are like, we didn't even realize until way too yeah. long in that we were burnt yep. out. And yep. then when we realized that's where we could do something about it. hundred percent. And that's like, that then becomes this dialogue of like, what does burnout feel for you? Mm-hmm. Like, what are some things that you're noticing that just don't feel like you anymore? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And everybody has different red flag. And the other piece is it's not about getting to a place where you're kind of like, like you said, that like you just, you're too far along. You didn't realize how burnt out you are. It's also about just being able to recognize like the warning signs as they come. It's sort of like, you don't want to wait till you, you physically get sick to take care of your body right? And to do sort of the preventative care. Like it's about recognizing when you're starting to feel run down and then you start taking care of yourself. So what does run down feel like for the, for the individual who's, you know, feeling burnt out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, um, yeah, there's a whole scale. And I think, you know, going back to that piece about society and the way that we're taught about these things, there is this idea of like, rise and grind, go every, mm-hmm. every day until you oh, drop. Yes. And so yes. we're not specifically taught to learn those more subtle signals right. of I'm not fully burnt out, but I'm, I'm a little, I'm worn right. out here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I meant by like, it's the burnout culture. I mean, it's almost like that is considered good work ethic to just be part of this grind right and that's so wrong Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of a lot of people have also watched their parents you know maybe working a couple jobs maybe just grinding away Um, maybe you know maybe that's where it comes from for a lot of individuals but maybe it's the expectation they just put on themselves and you know when you see it in others like it just becomes normalized so that's the other piece that when everyone around you is burnt out like you just think of this as just being normal when it's not right Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah so all right so as we're coming a little closer to the end of our time usually what I like to ask folks at the end of the interview is if you were to leave the audience with 
just something to chew on or Mm -hmm. something to think about as they're closing down their apps and going on with their days, what would you want them to know or think about? Yeah. I mean, self-care is not a luxury. It's a, it's a necessity. It's a basic human need. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, what is something that, you know, people listening to this could do even today just for themselves? Not for it, not for your clients, not for your partner, not for your kids, not for society, just for you mm-hmm. and to do it. So that's, that's the homework assignment of everybody listening. Nice. I like it. I like it. Yes. That falls in, in line with that idea of just put on the mask because you personally need it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I definitely. Yeah. Yes. Everybody, if you can do that assignment, <laughs> find something just for you. <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for thank joining you. today. Yeah, I think everybody will will get a lot out of this episode. There's a lot of good information in there. So Great. Thank you it. so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves and I will see you again soon.